Welcome to our Saturday simulcast. We are looking at the February 24th edition. I want to thank our sponsor, the Union Club Hotel and, and Boiler Up Bar 811 Bistro and Leaps Coffee. We'll be there next week for a couple of meetings, and so we're grateful for them. Today's show, really a special one. We say they're all special, but this is one. Obviously, Brian Newbert will lead us off. We'll be talking Purdue, uh, Rutgers, and of course, looking ahead to tomorrow's matchup against Michigan State. But then also Rick Mount will join us in segment two. And Rick will uh, be part of, uh, we talked to Rick, Rick earlier in the week and always lively and interesting about what the Rocket had to say about uh, not only shooting styles for Fletcher Lawyer and coaching choices by Matt Painter, but always interesting to hear what Rick has to say. Then, of course, uh, Dave Shellhouse and Dave of uh, All American the class three years before Rick Mount and uh, led the nation in scoring and of course the bobblehead for the Purdue Minnesota game earlier this month. He uh, joins us as well, talks about his new book as well, uh, a new book about Dave Shellhouse, his autobiography, and a lot more. So we thank you for watching and. Ryan Newbert joins us, uh, and uh, we'll, we'll sh shed some wisdom on Purdue men's basketball and, and other topics as we get to them today But uh, for, for segment one. Brian, uh, you wrote and talked about uh, pretty near-perfect per performance in a lot of ways in Purdue, and you know, who would have thought uh, that Purdue would put 96 points up on Rutgers? Uh, that was quite stunning to me and probably and certainly to you, but uh, this is a – Purdue had a lot of things go well last night, uh, and you could start with a number of different things. But now that you had a half a night to sleep on it, uh, your takeaways, your thoughts uh, as you as you looked about writing your upon further review and on down. Yeah, well, I, I it's easy to say it was a perfect game because of the final score, but once yeah. Purdue cleaned up the turnovers, you know, I think this was as much of a reminder of what Purdue's vulnerability is as the three losses were. Because for a while there, Rutgers was getting turnovers, Rutgers was scoring off turnovers, and Purdue had a game on its hands. As soon as that stopped, you saw what happened. Purdue scores 96 points on the number two defense efficiency-wise in college basketball thereafter. And not all of them after the turnovers, but you know what sure. I mean. It really underscored the fact that when Purdue takes care of the ball, and Purdue doesn't make it easier on its opponent to score. This is one of the most difficult teams in college basketball to beat. Prior to tonight, I I, I think this is a really important stat that I've written about a bunch of times here. Is yeah. The three losses, the opponent averaged 20 points a game off turnovers, off Purdue turnovers. And I really think it is that simple. If Purdue just takes care of the ball, they are going to be really, really hard to beat. And we don't even know what the pathway is to, to beating them because mm -hmm. it hasn't happened. Um, it's not just the turnovers Purdue denies itself. More importantly, it's the offense it gives its opponents that way. Uh, and, you know, to, that shouldn't be the first thing I, I mention after Purdue wins by 1,000 points um, <laughs> against a borderline NCAA team. I, I don't think they're going to get in, but I think yeah. they're – I think they're on the far end of the bubble. But 96 points against Rutgers. Rutgers is built to defend, to rebound, you know, and Purdue scores 96. This was 
no one could have seen Rutgers giving up this many points to anyone. But Purdue is quite possibly the best offensive team in the country when it doesn't turn the ball over. Right. And I think that's really the biggest takeaway from kind of last night's game, even though that might not be the thing that necessarily jumps out to everybody uh, in the wake of a couple of absolutely brilliant individual performances, starting with Zach Eady, Camden Heidi, Braden Smith, on down the line here. Camden Heidi, obviously, uh, seven for seven from the field, night career high, 19, was it, at the end of the day? Um, uh, uh, it was – 18. 18, but it was flawless. But uh, teams look good when the shots go in. But I think that is an interesting comment about uh, just the fact that uh, what was it pretty was at a point and a half per, per possession last night. Uh, uh, it's hard to it's hard to get beat if, again if the Purdue doesn't turn the ball over. Right. Um, yes, it is uh, interesting. Rutgers in the first ten minutes of that game, or for maybe the first seven or eight minutes, looked like a team that was going to not only give Purdue a, a forty-minute game, but a team that looked like uh, an NCAA level team. And, and now, uh, after getting you know boat raced by twenty-eight points, uh, you're right. Uh, the Scarlet Knights are not one of the six teams that look to be in good shape to make the NCAA tournament from the Big Ten. All right, what, uh, you know, Braden Smith, as you mentioned, Zach Eady, uh, a lot made of just, again, Eady doesn't even play the last nine minutes or whatever it was, seven, eight minutes in, in that game. But uh, Purdue is now making its free throws also. Uh, that uh, uh, the last two games has been been a, a turnaround that's been important, especially at home. Uh, going to Michigan Sunday and, and a team that Purdue should handle with relative ease, it did the first time around, but uh, any correlations between, or how do you view that game you know, based on the heels? I think Ohio State's a much better team than Michigan, but uh, Doug McDaniel will play in that game. But what do you what do you see? Uh, is, in, is it still gets back down to pretty takes care of the ball? It's going to win and win relatively easy. Is that what you see on Sat Sunday? Well, I don't think anything's ever easy on the road, uh, but like if Purdue doesn't turn the ball over, Purdue should mm-hmm. be fine and. I don't want to say every game they play from here on out because obviously Illinois is going to be a tough game. Um, yes. But, and then, you know, in the NCAA tournament, it, it, you don't take anything for granted ever. But um, if Purdue just takes care of the ball, I think Doug McDaniel adds a little bit of a different uh, complication for Purdue in the sense that he's one of those quick guards against a team that, you know, isn't always great against dribble penetration. That um, was not a factor in the first game, obviously, because Doug McDaniel uh, could not travel. Uh, yeah. He will play in this game, obviously. Uh, but at the same time, Michigan lost uh, Olivier uh, Comqua. Is that yeah. what? I think it's. Yeah. Um, that's a big loss for them. Um, so uh, I think that this is going to be a different Michigan team in more ways than one. Um, but Purdue is head and shoulders better than them. And, you know, it, it's kind of one of those deals too, where the, there's probably not going to be a lot of fans there. Uh, Michigan's got very little to play for here. And uh, you sort of wonder wh- where their head is, but no, Purdue's, I think that Purdue lost to Ohio state and that happens. People lose games in college basketball. And I think, the subsequent freakout 
and I'm I'm <laughs> running the risk here of conflating social media with real life. Uh, <laughs> Dangerous thing to do. But I think that, you know, everything is so overheated anymore uh, in terms of the way college basketball is discussed online. Um, I think that, you know, uh, I think Purdue people are a little bit uh, PTSD mm -hmm. afflicted. Um, but the Ohio State game didn't change anything. It, 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 they're the same team they were before. They're one of the best teams in college basketball, if not the best team in college basketball. And um, I just think that when Purdue doesn't turn the ball over, uh, they're great. And I think that um, they uh, showed that against Rutgers. And I, I don't anticipate any of their performances from here on out being – um anything other than that uh everyone in college basketball loses games um so the ohio state game was not any sort of existential revelation uh about what purdue is or isn't uh and i think you'll see at michigan a team that uh comes out pretty good and plays pretty well you got to remember Ohio State was a quad one loss. So, yeah. I mean, it's a, this is a good basketball team. With good and players. I, like, yeah, that's I mean, what I, people don't understand. It's like Bruce Thornton was a five-star recruit for a reason. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, Jamison Battle was is a proven guy and 20-something years old. Yeah. Uh, I'm trying to think of who else. It, but it, it it's not like Purdue went and lost to Toledo. Or something yeah. like that, or played bad. You know, I, I don't think, I don't think Purdue has not shown up for a game this year. I, I don't think they've had an off day. I think they've had spells of turnovers, and that's really it. I, I, I don't think we would tend to look at a trip to Michigan right now as you know the quote unquote trap game because yeah. we have to assign some sort of storyline to every game, but. At what point this season has Purdue really fallen into a trap in a quote-unquote trap game? They haven't. They have just had games where they have turned the ball over. And the opponent has shot really well from three. That's the Those are the two common denominators for beating Purdue. And those would be the two common denominators for beating anyone in college basketball. Um, but everybody loses games. And I, I think that uh, there's a reason there hasn't been an undefeated team in college basketball in Longer than before you were born. Yeah, before you were um, born. a year before you were born, right? So and there, are, there are plenty of college teams that have NBA lineups that have the best players in the country all over their roster that have the best coaches in the country, coaching them who play hard, who take care of the ball, who, who do everything right, and are just dominant college basketball teams. They lose games. It doesn't mean they're not as good as everyone thinks they are. It doesn't mean that they're vulnerable. It doesn't mean. Um, anything more than it's a long season. Everybody's playing 30 some games. There are two teams on the floor and stuff happens. Uh, so I, I guess I'm just, I keep kind of coming back to how much this Rutgers loss or this Rutgers win, you know, kind of disproved or whatever. Every, all the overreaction to the Ohio State game because you know right afterwards, UConn gets boat race. I, I don't know 
why Purdue UConn is a thing online. It, but, is, a, it is a thing, though. I don't know. Um, it's crazy. Right after Purdue loses a close game, a quad one loss at Ohio State, UConn goes to Creighton and gets boat raced. Uh, Illinois goes to Penn State completely. Uh, melts down. Completely melts down. Those are the two teams that I guess Purdue is getting compared to because Illinois is number two in the Big Ten. UConn was number one in the country, whereas Purdue, I think, was number two uh, before Ohio State. And uh, everyone loses. Yeah. Everyone loses every year. And it, it doesn't mean anything more than that. Yeah, I think you look at even last night uh, or on Thursday night, Arizona, who has become, I think it's one thing that's an interesting narrative is the flavor of the week. You know, it became UConn has been the flavor of the last couple of weeks. Maybe it's the team that's number one. Houston, Kansas was for a while after they beat Houston. Uh, oh, they're they're good enough to win it all. And now, of course, you, Arizona loses last night at home to a 20, what, 21st ranked Washington State team. Arizona was kind of becoming, oh, they're back in it. And they're really good. And that's, again, I guess it sells podcasts or, or Zoom viewers, et cetera. I don't know. But uh, that's what we're seeing on a weekly basis. Is uh, was in Purdue maybe number one on Monday if if Baylor loses or beats uh, beats Houston, I suppose, and Purdue will reemerges the flavor of the of the week. I mean, is that as simple as that in terms of where this is on a media slash social media landscape? Yeah, I mean, it's just it's just the the culture of endless endless debate online. Who's better than yeah. who? And it's not like any of these teams are different today than they were yesterday. It's not like. Purdue just all of a sudden turned into a better team than they were on Sunday at Ohio State. Everyone loses. It doesn't mean that, you know, Purdue and UConn are taking turns being the best teams in the country. They're the same teams they were before the games they lost last week. It's just a matter of everyone loses. Yeah. Um, but there always has to be some sort of heated discussion going on about things that will get people to click, get people to engage and things like that. And it's really overheated the way. And I, I have a lot of opinions on why that is, but I don't want to necessarily take up this whole podcast <laughs> with me kind of pointing fingers at people in the media or pointing fingers at various platforms or pointing fingers at various fans or various players in the big Ten, shall we say um, yeah <laughs> but it is just kind of an ugly landscape right now and it has killed perspective when you have done this for 20 years you understand that you know every season comes with its ups and downs these are volatile commodities uh, in terms of teams made up of young men and there's going to be some inconsistencies sometimes there's going to be some Ups and downs, but Purdue has had very few ups and downs. People look at Purdue like, oh my God, they lost to Ohio State. They're overrated. They're they're bound for a collapse. No, that, that that's not accurate. Um, but whatever. Yeah. I don't know if we're gonna solve that one, but it is gonna be a gonna be an interesting story of of, of uh, uh and be a continuing one throughout the throughout the rest of the regular season and conference tournaments. All right, uh, Fletcher Lawyer um, did some good things last night in terms of fives assists. What do you make of? You know, he hasn't hasn't 
been he's only what, hit, hit a couple had a couple of baskets here in the last several games. But again, Matt Painter went out of his way, not maybe out of his way, but talked about the contribution lawyers making. Is that another that is another flashpoint by some Purdue fans over him or whether Miles Coleman should be playing, all of those kinds of things. Just give us your take on that. I know you've also written about that logically and honestly, but what to, what do you see there? I think Purdue scored 96 points yeah. uh, last night against the number two defense in college basketball. I think that at Ohio State, if Purdue just did not turn the ball over 13 times <laughs> before that last turnover for 22 Ohio State points, Purdue wins that game, and Purdue has won its last 11 games. Uh, I don't think that there's any sort of uh, element here that's anything more than a manufactured online debate. Um Fletcher Lawyer is not making shots, but he's not getting shots. Yeah, he's not shooting. Yeah. He is a marked man for defenses now. And on some level, that probably helps Zach Eady score 25 points on eight shots, <laughs> which is yeah, unbelievable. Crazy. crazy. That probably helps Camden Heidi get off seven or four open threes, which then leads to his other three makes off the dribble. It le it probably helps Lance Jones get off uh, five threes, three of which he makes. You don't, and a lot of people won't agree with me here because it's just one of those things. <laughs> but you don't necessarily field good offense by having five guys always looking to score. Um, you field good offense by having five good offensive players on the floor. And Fletcher Lawyers as good an offensive guard as you know Purdue's had, I think, um, in quite some time. It doesn't mean he's as good a scorer as you know your some of the guys Purdue's had. Uh, I think he's he's not far behind, but he's as good an offensive player uh, in the backcourt as Purdue is has had. That means passing. That means dribbling. That means decision making. You know things like that. And Purdue is not struggling to score. When Purdue does struggle to score, it's turning the ball over. Is he part of that problem? Yeah, once or twice every now and then. He had one yesterday that was probably more on ED than it was on Lawyer. Um, he had one at Ohio State. Um, but he's a really good player. And giving up on really good players because there's a, there's a two next to his name after a game in which he scored 92 points or 96 points when he had five assists, which means that's at least 10 points that he 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 uh, he contributed in one way or another. That's not how this works. Um, you want to put Miles Colvin out there instead? That's fine. Um, but there's you're 24 and four, whatever, or 24 and three, whatever your record is right now with who you're playing and the whole notion of making wholesale changes right before the postseason is absurd. Um, but it's the stir craziness of this time of year where every game, everybody wants to change the starting lineup. Every year, this guy's not scoring enough, so this guy shouldn't play as much. It's just got to have something to talk about at all times. This is not really a thing. Um, I think that uh, his time's going to come again. Um I, I think that's the cyclical nature of things. Remember, he didn't do anything against Alabama, and then he comes out the next game and gets 27 against Arizona. I think people who might be coming in midseason uh, here to 
celebrate whatever might happen for Purdue from here on out and talk, you know what, to their friends from IU at work. Uh, maybe don't remember uh, the Tennessee and Arizona games. And two games does not a season make, but he's no different a player now than he was then. He's not worn down. He's not any of that stuff. He is just not getting shots. And that is a compliment because when you watch the games, you see that no one is leaving him. Uh, he got one open look yesterday that was like a 30-footer. I think he might have got another one, uh, two that yeah. he missed. But things have changed, and that's the nature of a long college basketball season, especially in the Big Ten when everybody knows what everybody's capable of doing. Um, he'll be fine. Uh, I think the shots he got at Ohio State off the dribble were shots he can make. They're also reboundable misses that the analytics community would be very high on, and two of those misses were rebounded, uh, one of them for a, a direct putback. Those are good plays for Purdue. Right? It's just he didn't make the runners that he he, he often makes. Um, there's no issue here. This is just stir craziness uh, late in a long season. Yeah, I think it's a... That is a that is well said and, and a a um, we'll be dealing with that stir craziness until the tournament is over. <laughs> if you're a, if you're a, maybe before the tournament starts, but then once it gets started, that will continue as well. Uh, one would think so. All right, Brian, safe travels to Michigan, um, and that will be we'll look for your excellent work on goldenblack.com for the for from. We apologize in the podcast version that. Uh, our Rick Mount audio got messed up and uh, lost. So if you want to watch the, the Rick, uh, hear what Rick Mount had to say, go to our YouTube version. Dave Shellhouse needs no introduction to Purdue fans. Of course, he is number two on the all-time list. Though Zach Eady is is tromping down on you, and he's going to pass you, I think, as he will Rick if things go well for Purdue. But Dave, uh, obviously, a All-American, led the nation in scoring in 1966. All Big Ten multiple times, All-American multiple times, a first-round draft pick of the Chicago Bulls. And we're going to talk about his book as well. And uh, the Shellhouse story just released relatively recently, a great book on his story, which is quite a journey. Uh, not it had a lot to do with basketball, but also a lot to do with life. And uh, we, and, and I think it's a if you're a Purdue fan or if you're a uh, want to know a great sports story, it's uh, well worth picking up. So we'll get to that in a little bit. Dave, you were in Mackey Arena last night. Purdue has a 28 uh, point win against the best, second best defensive team in the country in Rutgers. Uh, pretty good rebound performance by Purdue uh, against, a, again, a team that's usually pretty hard to score on. Purdue made easy work of that last night. Well, they played really well last night. You know, they had, uh, I think, uh, Braden Smith's just playing tremendous uh, right now. And that makes a lot of difference with that team. And, of course, off the bench last night, Heidi, he yeah. made some tremendous athletic moves. So, they came to play last night. I think they were a little upset after uh, Sunday's loss. Yeah, yeah, it certainly was that way. That uh, it certainly appeared that way. And Purdue seems to have a lot of weapons. You talk in your book, and again, we the Shellhouse story about playing with George Grams. It was a uh, seven footer back in the day. I think might have been Purdue's first seven footer of all time. Bill Jones was maybe about six eleven back in the day. How would you have liked to play with Zach Eady? Would you... <laughs> oh, it'd be tremendous. I mean, he, 
I, I tell people that ask me about Purdue, I've never seen a player improve like him Yeah, uh, over the period of time that he has been at Purdue. And uh, it, it's been, uh, really been quite amazing to watch him. Uh, yeah, he opens up the, the defense. Uh, he, he's someone that can always bail you out. Uh, if you miss a shot, he can either get the rebound or he, I, I like the fact he knocks it out some back sometimes and yeah. the guards get it. And, you know, he probably isn't credited with a rebound, but it's, it's his doing that uh, Purdue gets the ball back. So, uh, yeah, he would be, uh, I mean, he, it's, it's, they're a whole different team when he's not in the game. Yeah, no question. And uh, yet it is a team with, 10 or 11, I, I would even throw Brian Waddell in there. There's a lot of a lot of weapons, even Miles Coleman. It's hard to imagine a guy like Ma, with Miles' talent not really getting a lot of court time. But uh, when he does get court time, he sure is entertaining. Uh, hit that nice again. Your, your jump shot was beautiful. He has a beautiful jump shot, doesn't he? I mean, he's just fun to, fun to watch. Well, yeah. I mean, their depth and the recruiting that they've done in the last four or five years has really put Purdue uh, – on the national map. Uh, and, uh, that's been kind of fun. Yeah. All right. I can, I think I can hold this up so we can see it. The shell house story is the name of the book again, available on Amazon. And we'll put a link on our site so that if you're interested in it, I love stories and you've lived, you've lived a few decades as we both have, and you chose to tell your story. And it is a story about, basketball and your basketball career and your life growing up in Evansville and all the things that uh uh all the things that you brought together uh from a basketball perspective but then also kind of your experiences after uh in coaching um things that worked well in your life things that didn't always go well uh and challenges you had but I love that love that part of it you obviously talk about your your, your bout with that with 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 alcoholism and very candid about that, but very valuable. But what got you to decide, you know, I, I'm going to work to put this thing together. I know you've had some notes over the years and continue to accumulate thoughts, but what pushed you to the edge of, of, of going through the process of having a book? Well, actually, you know, during my uh, life, uh, there have been some things that have happened and, and, you know, friends, family have always encouraged me to say, you ought to write a book. Well, I didn't know how to write a book. I mean, <laughs> that was something beyond me, but I was fortunate to uh, meet a couple of people that uh, told me, you know, basically how to do it. And I have say, I found out I was an accidental saver. Yeah. You know, I have uh, I have some scrapbooks, but not great, but pretty good. And uh, I even have elementary school report cards. So it took me a little while to go through there. And it was healing in a lot of ways. I found a guy that many people in West Lafayette are familiar with, Tom Speaker, who has written a number of books. And what I would do would was to record uh, on tape and then he would write and I would edit and we would meet weekly and it took us longer or at least it took him longer than he thought it would but we became good friends and it was very healing in a way you know to look back and remember 
many of the people that have helped me and, and the things that I experienced. So that's kind of what, uh, what I did. I just sort of, you know, went, tried to be as accurate as I could at, as far as when I played, who was the coach, the players I recruited. Um, I loved coaching. And uh, as you say, I, I'm uh, actually in two days, it'll be 39 years of sobriety. So yeah. it's been a long time and it was the right time to tell my story. I think, uh, you know, my, I'm retired. I, I want to, uh, help as many people as I can with this book, uh, especially young professionals that are going out in, in their career. And hopefully it's been recepted well and, and hopefully uh, the people will enjoy it. I, a lot of great things about Purdue. You know, I honestly feel that Purdue's basketball took a huge turn when they hired George King. Yeah. Uh, Red Mackey hired George King going into my senior year and, Ever since then, Purdue's been awfully strong at the Big Ten and national level. Yeah, no question that that was a turning point, and and you had the opportunity to play in Georgia's first year, and in year four, Purdue's in the Final Four under George King in 1968-69 by with uh, Rick Mount, Herman Gillen, Billy Keller, and others that uh, made a big deal with that. You know, I think the interesting thing about redemption and 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 what you, you know, obviously your, your situation at Indiana State, you worked your way at, at Moorhead State and and to in Minnesota to be able to get to that level and have that opportunity in Indiana State. Um, and and I don't want to have a spoiler to the story because it's a significant one, but it is. Uh, you had to overcome some challenges. You had to overcome an extremely disappointing uh, finish at Indiana State and find yourself back uh, to kind of where you started from at Moorhead State. But just talk now as you reflect back at that. Um, uh, what would be your message to people as you as you would if you were talking to somebody across that wanted to be in coaching or or in life about uh, how to deal with with real difficulty? Well, you know, this was where uh, <clears throat> I went to Indiana State in 1982. And as you say, uh, what I figured out early on in coaching, you know, there's either there's two ways to get ahead. Number one is get on someone's coattails. Yeah. You know, if you're an assistant for Bobby Knight or you're an assistant for Dean Smith, your chances of getting a head coaching job at the collegiate level are pretty good. Or you have to win. Yeah. And I was one of those people that felt like I wasn't on anyone's yeah, uh, right. foot, foot tails. Uh, is that the right word? Coat tails. Yeah, you got it. Yeah, coat tails. Well, uh, I was very successful at Morehead State the first time and had the opportunity. I know I interviewed a couple years, interviewed at Drake. I interviewed at Appalachian State. Uh, Bobby Crimmins got that job, and then he went on to Georgia Tech and uh, Indiana State. And when I got to Indiana State, uh, unfortunately, based on what I learned later, uh, I was in a critical stage uh, along with my uh, alcoholism. In other words, if I had got sober earlier or had uh, stopped earlier, uh, my life may have been different. But um, it 
it's what it does to you when you drink. It's not how often or whatever. But uh, what happened was I was let go at Indiana State in 1985 and sent to treatment. Unfortunately, I had no anonymity. It was front page, you know, all over the state of Indiana. And um, it was very difficult from that time on to uh, the stigma at that time was very strong. Um, I put in the book and I'm pretty accurate. I applied for over 75 jobs and maybe got two interviews mm -hmm. and uh, wound up back at Moorhead State, which turned out, in my estimation, to be a blessing, especially for my family. So all of those things, I, what I uh, tried to do once I got sober was to learn everything I could about alcoholism and that's in the book yep. and it can if it can help uh many of us are touched by this whether it's family members ourselves our spouse our friends uh we all have stories and it can if it can help someone uh, recognize it deal with it um, that would be great for me well and i appreciate the fact that 39 years and you say it's a day at a time right it doesn't one day at a time. Oh. I've met some wonderful people. It's uh, well worth the effort. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, if someone doesn't get sober, it's not going to end well. And I think that you're very candid about that, about your personal life, et cetera, and some of the challenges it meant for your family down the road. Uh, and yet uh, uh, it is an interesting story and well and and certainly well articulated your opinion on that in terms of what that was about. Okay, I have to ask you now about you had a bobblehead last week for the <laughs> for the was the Minnesota game, right? And yes. uh, a, what's it like to have a bobblehead? And to b, what's it like to stand? You know, you're you you obviously been an educator your whole life. You've taught, but still, and you've taught and had to stand in front of teams, uh, students, etc. A little different standing in front of 14,000 people and imposing yourself. But what was that like for you and that experience of A, the bobblehead, and B, standing up there at halftime and, and articulating a very coherent message? Well, I think, you know, a couple of things. Number one, you know, Matt Painter's done a great job of including former players and yes. managers back into the program. So I've been a season <laughs> ticket holder for a number of years. And as, I, as those years went along, people say, well, when are they going to have a bobblehead night for you? And I'd say, <laughs> well, I have no idea. Well, this year they did. And uh, my, it was a wonderful evening. I have three kids. I have a, a daughter who lives in Tampa and a daughter and son that live in Salt Lake City. And all three of them came out. And, and if they had been to Mackey, it's been when they were very little children. So just going to Mackey's fun. Oh, yeah. And, uh, you know, people, uh, it, it was interesting. Now, as far as uh, I'm very grateful to Purdue for that, I mean, it's sort of, they're sort of cartoon characters anyway. I have yeah. a lot oh, of them. Yeah. But uh, people enjoy them and, and et cetera. And as far as speaking, I thought about it for a few days, what I wanted to say. Uh, I'm, I'm very, uh, fortunate and i talk about it in the book to have selected purdue it worked out great for me um 
wonderful people helped me over over you know my life just because of Purdue. Uh, my brother went there, all his kids. I mean, it's been a great university for, for all of the Shellhouse family. But anyway, uh, I was a little nervous. But when yeah. I walked out there, I thought, you know, I, I want to keep it short. I, I paid a, a tribute to the Evansville people. I, I feel like when I came here and the next year Bob Greasy came here, a lot of us had uh, we we both had success, and I think and I know from coaching that once you get a player from an area and he's successful, you can get other athletes from that area. So, uh, but I also wanted to, uh, you know, just let people know that we're in a very special time in Purdue basketball, and and we should enjoy this. And you know, people get upset when we lose one game, but oh yeah. You know, it's uh, it. Believe me, as you well know, it could be a lot worse. You know, it's it's it is it, it and it, and ties into someone that deal has dealt effectively with alcoholism. It's, it's one day at a time, but you better enjoy the day, right? And uh, if you don't enjoy pretty basketball right now, you got you got to, or even where they are, you can't fix what's going to happen in March. We'll see what's going to happen in March. They got an opportunity in front of them, but. If you don't enjoy what you're watching in Mac Arena, especially after last night, you got you got you're not going to enjoy much. Well, it's phenomenal when I go to a game and I look at the very top and every seat's taken. Oh, I yeah. mean, it's just mind-boggling, really. Yeah. All right. Well, Dave, the name of the book, The Shell House Story, and I've been looking back, Rise, Fall, Redemption, the story of Purdue legend Dave Shellhouse, written by Dave Shellhouse and Tom Speaker, as you mentioned, a friend of mine as well. Great guy. And uh, it really is. A, it's a story well worth reading. And the message is important. It's 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 honest. You were very honest about and about Indiana State and some of the things that that uh, caused you to have to deal with. But uh, very, very honest portrayal of what that's about. So we thank you so much for your for your time today. And you've been a, we've always appreciate your view. I, I we, we next time we'll talk about your 57 point game against uh, against uh, Michigan back in tonight. It'd be helpful for Purdue on Sunday afternoon to have Dave Shellhouse throw in or or maybe be Zach Eady put up 57 against Michigan as you did back in 1966. But thanks so much. Um, and uh, we, we certainly have enjoyed our relationship over the years and grateful. Thank for you, Alan. And I think that uh, Purdue fans will, you know, enjoy reading about people like Mel Garland and Bob yeah. Perkheiser and George King and Bob King and, uh, they touched a lot of lives. They certainly did, and uh, and you articulate that part uh, very importantly. All right, we want to thank our sponsors, Triple X on the Hill, but on the level of Purdue tradition since 1929. Hilton, or excuse me, uh, State Farm agent Trent Johnson at trentismyagent.com uh, as well. Good folks at, at WLFI, Gordon Jackson, uh, Mary, I, I, I'm assuming that uh, they, I know that they're doing a great job to help us out. We appreciate that. We'll be back next week. Uh, leading into Purdue's game against Michigan State, I would assume a game that Dave will be there as well. But we'll have uh, we'll talk a little bit of media. We'll talk. I think we're going to talk with David Neff from uh, Purdue's Boilermaker Alliance. Dave, who would have thought we'd be talking about collectives in this world today? But college sports has changed, and Dave will join us in addition to uh, uh, some other guests as well. So have a great week, everybody. Enjoy your weekend. And uh, we'll look forward to next week 
and Golden Black Live, and also to all of you that have enjoy us on Saturday simulcast too. You get a chance to, if you missed part of this interview, you can check in there. Want to thank Brian Newbert, Rick Mount, Dave Shellhouse for joining us today. And of course, the good folks at the Union Club Hotel for sponsoring our Saturday simulcast. We'll be back next week with another compelling show, we hope, leading into that Purdue-Michigan State basketball game. And we hope that you all have a great week. And we look forward to another edition of Saturday Simulcast. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.